Hello, and welcome to the 118th episode of the Not Your Mama's Gamer podcast, a podcast where we talk about games and gaming from a feminist perspective. My name is Samantha Blackman, and I'm an associate professor here at Purdue University in wonderful West Lafayette, Indiana, where I talk about, read about, write about, dream about, amongst other things, video games, video games, and video games. And we are joined tonight for our 118th uh, <laughs> episode by Latoya Peterson, um, who has done this awesome documentary. If you haven't seen it, pause the podcast right now, go look at it, come back. Um, it's a five-part series on girl gamers. It's a whole lot of fun. Um, and in addition to Latoya, well, let's start out by saying, hi, Latoya, how you doing? Hey, Toya. Hi. Um, Hi. We've got our usual bevy of brilliant bitches joining us tonight. Uh, Alicia Carabinus, Ashley Velasquez, and Bianca Batty. How you doing, ladies? Fantastic. Uh, we're okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was and now we're going to mute Alicia for the rest of the evening. <laughs> Yay! Yay! <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so we'll start with our um, we'll start with our guest and do a quick run through of um, some quick introductions and then our fun what you're playing, what you're reading, what you're drinking because that's always a fun thing to do. Um, Latoya, we try to be polite around here. Remember to let guests go first. Who are you? Cool. Um, I'm Latoya Peterson. I am a writer and a digital strategist and an activist and a gamer. So I've been doing all of those things for various portions of my life. I think gaming has been the longest. So that's what I do. I'm currently at Fusion, uh, which is a joint venture between ABC and Univision. And that's why I've been making the Girl Gamer series, which is available in five parts on YouTube. And it's awesome. You forgot that part. (laughs) (laughs) Gamers think it's awesome. Non-gamers are like, what? (laughs) Well, in terms of the target audience I wanted to talk to. Right. Alicia, who are you? Uh, I'm Alicia, and <laughs> I'm a PhD student at Purdue <laughs> University in rhetoric and composition. I study, you know, a lot of things, but also games. Right now, I study the inside of my eyelids while I try to think about the papers I have to write for next week. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Ashley, you're next on my screen. Who are you, honey? I am Ashley, and I'm a PhD student in second language studies at Purdue, so I study how to teach English as a second language, and I talk about how games can be effective in that. So that's what I do. As you rock back and forth. I'm sitting on my uh, exercise ball at my desk. Oh, multitasking. Aren't you healthy? (laughs) 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 All right. And last but definitely not least, Bianca. Hello. Uh, I think you mean Bianca. Bianca. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's Bianca now. That's my, <laughs> my alter ego. Um, yeah, but no, really, it's Bianca, everybody out there listening. That is my correct name. Bianca Batty, B-A-T-T-I, doing my PhD <laughs> in lit studies. Uh, and I like to think about video games as a form of, you know, contemporary storytelling, what kind of representation happens as a result of the kinds of stories that video games tell, um, and how those converse with 
other forms of media and storytelling as well. So that's that's my jam. That's what I'm working on. Basically, you're mm -hmm. smart. You are too. So everybody's smart. Everybody's cool. No, it's just one big love fest. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we'll move on and start with uh, what you're playing. Latoya, what have you been playing lately? What have I been playing? Well, I have a two-year-old. Me too. You have a two-year-old too, yeah? Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting because that's impacted my gaming in a lot of dramatic ways. Yeah. <laughs> the biggest one has been that my son has now realized that if I am gaming, I am not paying attention to him. <laughs> so there's a lot of like this happening where like I'll be gaming and then he'll come up next to me like on the bed or something and go ah! until I <laughs> so right now we're playing games here. So I play a lot of Journey, a lot of Little Big Planet Three. Selected like he's yelling from right now. He's going Mama. Selected levels in Final Fantasy X. He likes. Um, and I'm hoping that he will really like Smash Brothers, which I doubt, but we'll try. We <laughs> can always see. We can always test. Um, so that's, those, are the, like, those are the main ones that we're playing these days. Um, if I could ever get some alone time ever again, I'm going to dive into an RPG, but that's, that's, that looks like that might be a 2016 goal. <laughs> Long enough to find an RPG that I like. <laughs> play for longer than two hours. That's my goal. Aww. I also have a, a seven-year-old, and he's been replaying Limbo. Uh, and my daughter freaks out. And she'll, she's the two-year-old. She'll stand there and scream every time anything happen, happens on the television. He'll just be playing it, so she'll be like, ah! Ah! It's like the scream just switched. Like, it's not even like the spider or anything. It's like he jumped, and she's, ah! <laughs> But it makes it hard for him to concentrate. Aww. <laughs> oh, they are a challenge when it comes to managing your gaming time. It is. It's no one tells you that part of being being an adult gamer. <laughs> nope. You feel like you hit your certain types of humps and you've learned to like manage talking about your hobbies at work, which means not doing so, and like other things. And then like the baby comes as a whole. <laughs> like I'm very glad that he's into video games at all. That's great. Uh, he played some Indicate. He's really, really into it. But uh, it's 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 a challenge. It's a challenge. I'm sure, like when he's like 14, he'll be either like either some master gamer away <laughs> somewhere, or he's gonna hate games and be like, "Mom, you're such a nerd. Go away." <laughs> It'll be one or another. <laughs> My son is convinced that he wants to design games and be a critic and be a streamer, a famous YouTuber. So that's where we are. <laughs> yeah. If PewDiePie can do it. <laughs> Everything. I'm like, that's right. Exactly. You buy mom a big house. All right. All right. What? Since I said we use that as a good segue for you, what have you been playing? Um, I've been playing a lot of things, mm -hmm. uh, as I do. Uh, I went back and played some Don't Starve Together. I've decided that Don't Starve Together, playing with my husband, that is our joint way of avoiding all the shit we have to do. We'll like look around and be like, man, the house is kind of dirty and we have like a lot of stuff that we have to ride and all these things do. 
it's definitely time to, uh, <laughs> to play an entire extra long season in Don't Starve Together. Uh, so we've been doing some of that again lately. Uh, I played some Civil, uh, but we played a little bit of the Beginner's Guide. I've been on doing stuff with indie games for the uh, the site and for my papers. So I've been playing some of that stuff. I played a little bit of Left 4 Dead too. I revisited that so I could show it to Ashley. All right. It was fun. Um, she, oh, she made some noises. Game. She made some noises when she was playing. I would, can we keep my noises out of this conversation? <laughs> no. And I played a little bit of Bloodborne. And uh, I'm pretty sure that I'm in the unpopular opinion camp on that. And listen, I like difficult game experiences, but mm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take over the podcast. But let's say that I think that it's a little overwrought the the fandom. <laughs> you don't leave everything, so you don't count. I'm the hater. You are. You are the resident hater. <laughs> hater. <laughs> What's up? All right. All right. Yeah. What about you, Ashley? What you been playing? Um. Well, recently I downloaded a uh, State of Decay. Yay! That's kind of fun. I'm not that far into it. I get to hit some zombies with a. Dick, and that's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> I get to knock some heads off. I'm pretty violent sometimes. <laughs> I'm telling you, finals week, dead week, man, dead week. <laughs> um, let's see. I finished my my kind of finish is uh, I played through Tomb Raider, <laughs> but I didn't do all the little side stuff. I just wanted to get to the end and see what happened. Um, so I did that, and then uh, a bird story. I started playing a bird story. Mm-hmm. That's cute and seems really sad. I don't know how I'm going to feel about that one. <laughs> probably sad. Um, probably. And I try to play Assassin's Creed, and I just don't think I like it. So this is how I know <laughs> that we're destined to be friends forever. <laughs> that shit is boring. I just the mechanics are just not. I'm not fond of the mechanics Mm-mm. for that. Um, and I'm just going around killing people, and I don't really understand why. <laughs> you should jump in and out of some hay. That's always fun. <laughs> I did it. I died in some hay. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then <laughs> I got out of the hay and got attacked. So. Well, that's because you're supposed to use it to hide until they go away, Ashley. <laughs> they didn't go away. <laughs> Clearly. They stayed. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, and Destiny, of course. You can shoot stuff there. Ashley just likes to shoot stuff, kill Pretty things. Much. That's sure. all right. I tried to get her to buy uh, Dishonored. Oh, that is an awesome game. I never yeah. thought about that one. She told me about that after I had downloaded State of Decay. And being that I'm a PhD student, um, yeah, my I don't have that tenure track money yet. <laughs> 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 one game every, you know, every once in a while. Give it time. Give it time. All right. What about you, Bianca? What you playing, darling? Uh, I haven't been playing a whole lot lately, to be completely honest. I've been doing a lot more writing than anything. Dead week. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I finished Tomb Raider. <laughs> um, so there, there was that. Um, once I'm done with my papers, I'm going to finally play the last episode of Life is Strange, like finally, um, and I'm going to revisit Until Dawn, but other than that, I've been playing some music, that's, Ooh. I want to catch that as something. Super so. multi-talented. Well, 
Stop. But yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bianca, you're in your form tonight. <laughs> well, you know, I got some beer in me, so woohoo. Uh, no, uh, yeah, I mean, I saw we saw some friends of ours over Thanksgiving, and we played some music with them, and so I've been trying to get back into that a little bit more. Um, Playing on that drum set? Yeah, yeah, got to tune those drums up, you know? They've been sad and lonely. No one's been playing them for a while, so yeah. They need to be dusted, too. They're a little, they're a little dusty. Fine. So yeah, music. It's getting me through things. Music's cool. High five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. All right. I guess I'll go. Um, yeah, I've been in a... This is going to shock the hell out of everybody because for 40 years I've just been killing shit on a regular. Um, <laughs> because, you know, that's what I do. Um, <laughs> right. Kill stuff, man. I know that's that's just me, right? It's like, and if I can't kill things, then I get upset. Um, but I've been in a not killing things mood. I've had enough killing apparently in the real world, so I've been not killing things or not wanting to necessarily. At least shooting things in my game worlds. Um, so I've been playing some other stuff. Um, uh, P and I were home sick. Friday and all this weekend, um, which meant uh, watching a lot of Stampy Cat Minecraft videos, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, because you know that's what they do, um, mm-hmm. and playing Minecraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Every time See, Jack gets sick, yep. Same. I was gonna say, Latoya, you haven't gotten to that yet. When they <laughs> when they really get into their own like little YouTube streamers. And that's all they want to do when is when they have TV time, and it drives you insane. Your time is coming. <laughs> oh yeah. Prepare yourself. Yeah. Oh, like brace. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. Um, so I played some Minecraft, and then uh, we uh, played uh, some. We finished up an episode of Minecraft Story Mode. Um. We finally finished up because we've been doing separate playthroughs of some things because, you know, her screen time is limited, is technically not. <laughs> so we finished up her playthrough of King's Quest Episode 1 just in time for Episode 2 to come out next week. Yeah. And um, I played a little bit of Rainbow um, Six Siege because I had rented it. Um, before I realized that the last thing I wanted to do was shoot things, and so I and I had just like had it for like a week, <laughs> so I was like, well, I should at least install it and play it a little bit before I take it back, so I don't feel like an asshole for you know spending my money to rent it, especially since I've had it for so long. <laughs> then you then you gotta play, yeah. right? It was you gotta do something, right? Gotta save face somehow. I was like, really, I gotta pay these motherfuckers twenty dollars, and I ain't even played this game. Um, <laughs> it's like I could have bought the game for that. And <laughs> um, and it's just it's like it's like this it's like a vicious cycle, right? Because it's like I've had the game so long, I need to take it back because it's getting more and more expensive. Then it's like, but I gotta at least play it before I take it back, because then at least I get something out of it. 
But I don't want to play right now, so I'll play it tomorrow. So you keep it for another day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're the worst. I am the worst. You know this. Let me manage your money into my bank account. Yeah, see, no, no, that's not going to work. Um, <laughs> so I played a little, um, I played a little Rainbow Six. And, um, yeah, not really. I did not like it at all. At all. I don't know if it's just that, the see, and I'm not going to say the game's bad. Because, like I said, I am just in such a I-don't-want-to-shoot-things mood that is probably my mood more than anything else that made me just absolutely hate the game. Um, But I've also, you know, of course, we've all heard about how short the non-multiplayer campaign is. Um, So, and I was like, really? and because I was, I rented it initially because I was like, I'm gonna rent it and see if I want to buy it. Um, because you know, since I'm on my Destiny boycott, um, <laughs> and and I did what? not like what? Halo, I didn't like Halo Five as much as I thought I was gonna. I needed some kind of shooter, and I was like, but you know, everybody knows me. I like playing shooters. I don't like, sh- I do like playing shooters online, but I like playing shooters online with people I know. I'm too old. To play multiplayer shooters because I'm 46 and my reflexes are too slow to play with fucking 12 year olds. Um, you know, it's just a reality. It's gonna happen to all y'all. Once you get old, your reflexes are gonna slow down. Um, you are not actually shut up. <laughs> Ashley's about to turn 30, so she's really oh, having a- oh, oh my god, you said it aloud. <laughs> she's, gonna- she's, gonna- she's having a bit of a crisis. <laughs> Age is just a number, you guys. Age is just a I number. Know. is great, can I tell you? Oh, my God, Kelly. You look terrible until you actually die. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, like jumping away, okay? It's like, oh, shit. oh, this is great. All right, all right. 30 school, 30 school. What was that trip school? Once you get on this side, it's fine. <laughs> it is fine. It's the fact that Sam said it and Ashley's been so... I can't like believe this. she did that. <laughs> Ashley, if you hear the news tomorrow that Purdue burned down... Oh, why did she say that? <laughs> it's not me. Because age is... is she is absolutely right, Bianca. Age is nothing but a number. It's silly. I mean... You're going to be the same person. Right. Like I said, I just told everybody I was 46. Um, we ain't talking not, about how old I am, though. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you how old I know how old you are. Oh, well, I'm cut you. She <laughs> is thirty. <laughs> Bye. Anyway, Sam, tell us more about Rainbow Six. <laughs> what kind of shooters do you like? You like shooters sometimes. Alicia, I know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so back to Rainbow Six. Redirecting. Um, I don't even know. Like I said, I don't know if it's, it was that the game just wasn't good or if it's just my, kind of my kind of I mean, current... Rainbow Six. Well, you know what? I've, I've played Rainbow Six before and halfway enjoyed some of them. <laughs> okay, that's um, a rousing I, recommendation. Well, I said... <laughs> it, was, it was not terrible. Like, I didn't, it didn't make me feel like I had cancer. <laughs> At least you are insensitive. I know. Um, I love you. I say halfway because well, there's a lot of stealth in Rainbow Six. Is this State. halfway sober or is this halfway non-sober? And I can't do stealthy <laughs> games very well. Mm-hmm. Sam does not like to sneak. 
I don't like to sneak. I like to. Well, you anybody who's played any any shooters with me knows that, right? It's like I go in guns blazing. Leroy. Um, <laughs> all the time. Um. So, but on occasion, I don't mind playing stealthier games. Like I even tried to. be Speaking of Dishonored, is a game I absolutely love. I played so many hours of Dishonored. It's not even funny. Um, game. But, you know, and I went through when I was first first playing a game, and I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this the stealthy way. And I and then I would walk into a room, and somebody would be like, what's that? And they turn around, I'd be like, fuck it, now you all got to die. Um, so I just kind of gave up on the stealthy part um, and got the bad ending, apparently. But, so, yeah, I don't, like I said, I don't know. Rainbow Six, I'm not going to judge the game itself because I can't. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, cool. So, reading. Who's reading anything interesting? We don't want to talk about that today. My <laughs> eyeballs are about to fall out of my head right now. That's all we've done for the past like four or five days is read. <laughs> and read. And read. I was up until like 2 a.m. last night. We, we have a group text going in which Ashley's like pasting in things. And I'm like, oh, I read that article. I remember this part. And then we're talking about stuff. And then Bianca brought Ashley a giant stack of books today because we all have papers due next Wednesday. And everything is terrible. So, <laughs> but we're actually, I'm going to sit out the reading, but y'all can go. <laughs> I'm reading about body diversity. Yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> See, exactly. I gave Ashley Adrian Shaw's book. That's true. Woo! Oh, did you? Nice. But, yeah, you know yeah. me. Fangirl over here. Hooking me <laughs> up. Yeah. Shout out. Adrian what about Shaw. you, LaToya? Our guest. Yeah. Yeah, I read multiple books at a time. Oh um, yeah, I'm still, I'm my still, kind of reader. Yes, and I read I read books for different reasons all the time. So I'm always like, well, this is my like serious book, and then this is my like fantasy escape mm -hmm. novel. Yes, this yeah, yeah. Comes the biography. Um, Molly Crabapple is my homegirl, longtime fan, longtime fan of. I was a fan of hers, and she's apparently a fan of mine through Racialicious. Um, she came out with a memoir called Drawing Blood. Um, and she was the artist that did a lot of the Occupy Wall Street drawings. Yeah. And she's done a phenomenal job with, like, artwork and journalism. So it's been very fun reading her memoirs and finding out how she became the person that she is, mm -hmm. um, including living in a bookstore that's very famous in Paris called Shakespeare and Company. I didn't know you could actually oh. live there. So you can live there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Um, so that book is great so far. I just finished uh, Shonda Rhimes' Year of Yes. That was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of fun. Very self-helpy, easy breezy. Kind of like oh, I need like a New Year's thing. Read that. Good. <laughs> um, very good. I've been just, I've been reading. A, I'm on a tear of biographies. I read Mindy Kaling's like two weeks ago. Oh yeah. Amy Poehler's. Right, oh, Amy Poehler. I'm like okay. Let me hurry up with that one. Let's see. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then I read a bunch of stuff that I don't always admit to because it's basically part of like the vaginal fantasy book club. <laughs> oh, the one that geek I wouldn't want somebody to say, catch me with that giant. <laughs> <laughs> we don't tell everyone who listens to our show. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's an open secret, put it this way. Uh, Jessica Luther, who is an online feminist who's pretty cool, a while ago she had this idea for a romance novel book club, and I was I named it. I was like, you should call it Steel and Velvet. She was like, what? And yeah. I explained like, where it's from. Um, so that's like the next generation of that. 
Um, but I've been rereading recently. Why was I rereading? I think I had like insomnia for a couple of days, and I was just like, what books do I already own that I can read? Um, <laughs> I reread the whole Alex Barris series, uh, which is a magical diviner type guy. Kind of like Dresden, only I think Dresden is creepy. I can't deal with Dresden. So I like Alex Ferris a lot better. Plus he's in London. Makes it more fun. So yeah, that's what I'm reading. Cool. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun. See, and you know, while we have the grad students complaining about reading to write papers, I'm gonna complain I'm not gonna complain. But the only thing I've been able to read lately has been graduate student papers. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the other side of the coin. Right. It's like, what are you complaining for? You have to write one. I have to read fifteen of for them. For you? I don't I have to write, write one two for you. <laughs> I have to write two for you. <laughs> I'm writing a whole two-part study. That ain't easy. Yeah. How does that feel though? To be like a teacher and know that you've assigned this thing, and what's going to come back to you is this tidal wave. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm just like. We we complain about it with like our undergrads. You know, we do we complain about it with the undergrads. We're like, oh god, they've got papers due. It's gonna be terrible. But then you know, we turn them all in, and we expect Sam to just be like fine with it. We should be more, <laughs> empathetic. but we're not. We're like, have you read that yet? What do you think of it? What do you think of the one your line on page seven? Was that good? Did you like it? Do I have your approval yet? Oh my gosh. <laughs> you are absolutely right. That is exactly what you guys do to me. I know. Sometimes we do it on purpose. Uh, it's just because we love you. Yeah. I'm going to send you a text on uh, Friday asking if you read my paper yet. <laughs> it ain't due to Wednesday. And I'm going to block you. Um, <laughs> well, now we get to the fun, fun part. Uh, the what you drinking part. And Latoya, what are you drinking? Anything? Are you drinking? Uh, you know, I've been on sweet Rieslings lately. Yay! That's all I've been drinking. You know what? I approve. Thank you. Sweet Rieslings. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's that weird wino problem where I'm like, I know I can have X many numbers, X many glasses of wine, still be mm -hmm. like, like I can still write, I can still read, I can still do. Right. Beer, this is one of those things that happens after you hit that 30 wave and you realize, like, oh, some shit's got to go. So I can still. <laughs> what? Beer. What? 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 What wow. goes when you hit 30? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, whatever, whatever, like, your life, you'll start noticing that you just don't have tolerance stuff no more. Beer, out the door. Bye. No more beer. I don't drink beer. I don't no. like beer, so I'm okay there. If it's not a Kieran or a Peroni, I'm not touching it. Get it away from me. Uh, you become a wino, which is mm -hmm. great. There's a lot. There's a wine bar across the street from my house, which was a terrible. Oh, oh. oh man! Yeah. All the dollars. All right, cool. So let's try to hang out there sometimes. Put some fancy Italian shit in there. It's great. I'll drink that. Um, and I give. I also <laughs> gave up hard liquor recently because I have a kid. Like I can't be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't get it together for a while. At least yeah. until he's body trained. I feel like first <laughs> time you do a really terrible diaper. And you're drunk. It's just not a good <laughs> look. It's just like no, never again. I'm cool. I'm just gonna like let that be easy for a while. I'm gonna make you sad. I think I was five when I started drinking again after you my were daughter. Five? Was... <laughs> <laughs> Sam, how much have you had tonight? Bro? Oops. 
I think my daughter was five. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but I will tell you, I will tell you a secret. It won't be a secret, because of course, you know, one, I'm saying it now, and we'll put the podcast out. But when I was, I wasn't even five, I think I was about three. My mother, God bless her, um, would come home and make a whiskey sour at night. And um, she would, she left one on the table. Oh. <laughs> and like I said, I was about three. It should taste and like candy. It's I, exactly. And I picked it up and I downed the <gasps> whole thing. Ooh. I remember this. No wonder your mom was afraid of the GPS. <laughs> <laughs> They're coming for her. <laughs> I remember this so well. It's it's funny. I remember standing behind the toilet. Like behind the tank of the toilet, between the tank of the toilet and the wall, giggling my ass off. <laughs> while my mother like ran through the house screaming, "What'd you do with it?" Smelling the sinks and smelling the toilet, because oh she was God. pretty sure I had probably poured it out and not drank the entire thing. Oh no! Now, mind you, my mother ran a women and children's health care clinic. <laughs> and was a professional health care nurse. And she, and she tells this story, and she's like, the only thing I could think of was, oh, my God, I'm going to have to take her to the hospital, and they're going to take my baby away. <laughs> Man, this, this explains a lot of things about you, Sam. <laughs> it does. Which is probably the reason that I did not drink again after my daughter was born until she was five. <laughs> Like I'm just gonna keep that. Yeah, we're gonna keep this to the side <laughs> until she knows better, and I can tell her, "Don't touch that." Oh Lord. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Man. But on that note, I am um, drinking. I bought a couple bottles of it the other day because um, Ashley uh, brought some to my house at Thanksgiving and um, drank an entire bottle and fell asleep on the couch. Um, <laughs> Oh, she did that there too. She shot. <laughs> you do. What? What? Huh? <laughs> Y'all are so wrong. <laughs> the uh, it's from Oliver Wineries. Actually, is a local winery. Um, it's a Bean Blossom Hard Cider. It's a an apple cider, but it's a peach flavored apple cider. So that's what I'm drinking tonight. And I'm I'm trying to decide. I'm still trying to decide because it calls the bottle says hard cider, but then it also says apple wine, and I'm wondering if they just call it an apple wine because it's made at a winery, um, even though they call it a hard cider. And I like to think better that it's a beer and not a wine because it comes in a kind of a wine-sized bottle, and I feel a little better drinking a wine-sized bottle of beer than I do a full bottle of wine. I feel less guilty. I don't know why. So I'm going to say it's a hard cider, but it's really good. It's an apple cider. It's peach flavored. It's pretty sweet, though. Mm -hmm. It was good. I tasted it. Mm -hmm. I'm cidering, too. I've got a Strongbow hard apple cider. That's Ashley's fault, too. She's spreading her stuff on everybody. I know my cider's broke. <laughs> it's, on sale. it's not my favorite. It's a little sweet. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, but that just means I drink them faster. So now I'm like, 
does it matter that it was on sale? Because it won't last with me as long as a six pack of something else. But whatever. If, like, if I drink an entire six pack in one sitting, does it matter? <laughs> yeah. I won't care by the, <laughs> but the next day I might. I'd be like, oh. <laughs> All right, um, Ashley, what you drinking, darling? I'm drinking the same brand, only it's the original, not the peach. It's less sweet. Is it? Maybe I'll try that one one day. I like it a lot. Be what you got in that jar. Beer. My little cup. Yeah. It's a little cup. Oh. It's Sierra Nevada. I'm not in the like cool cider club tonight. That's my okay. I had Sierra Nevada last night, so I'm with you. All right. All right. Mhm. All right. Well, cheers, everyone. Yeah. Yay! Cheers. cheers. All kinds of fun stuff. All right. So, how about we? Oh, go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. No, no, you're the boss. Thank you. Glad you realized that. So, oh, I knew it. <laughs> how about we just uh, jump into some questions for Latoya? Mm -hmm. Sweet. And have a fun little conversation. So, um, Latoya, first question um, is. What brought about the Girl Gamer de uh, documentary? Because, I mean, usually there's some kind of thing. Well, maybe that's just because, you know, we're reactionary around here. Um, that, <laughs> that brings about kind of a change or a new thing for us. But uh, why the Girl Gamer documentary? Not that it's not wonderful, not that we didn't need it, but... But why? Okay. Um, <laughs> so I spent a lot of my career being kind of like the nerd ahead of the curve, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like you're into all this stuff and everybody at work thinks you're nuts uh, because I work in more traditional media environments. And then later it pops and everybody's like, hey, didn't Latoya used to be into that weird animation? <laughs> that's, that's been our role in general. So gaming, when I first, you know, I've been into it forever. I've had, you know, friends who games for a long, long time. And whenever it would just come up at work, people were like, really? Video games at your age? Like, really? Hmm. So I just, you know, let it go for a few years. Didn't worry about it. Um, and what's weird is, like, actually, if you actually look into my background, you'll see that I'm, like, very active in writing and doing games criticism from, like, 08 to, like, 2011. And <laughs> there's, like, a death, right? And that death is, why? Right? Why am I doing this? Um, no one cares. No one cares about racing games. No one cares about gendering games. No one cares about any of these things. All my friends have moved on. Let me figure out what else is going to happen. No one's going to make a career out of games or games criticism. It's just, it's over. Like, it's Lee. She's the only person with a job. Yeah. That's all it's going to be. Um, so, you know, and I was happy with that. It was cool. Right? I had, it's not like my other career wasn't going well or anything. It's fine. Mm -hmm. um, don't cry for me. I was good. But... Um, I started noticing after particularly the rise of Gamergate. So Gamergate started right around the time I had my son. So I was totally out of the loop in the beginning. Like, you know, I gave him birth and like that's when they started doing the whole thing. And so I kind of got back in like you know, a year later. And Naomi Clark, who you see in the documentary, um, we were hanging out at Indiecade and she was like, we're doing a panel on Gamergate. And I was like, that shit is still going on? Like, this is a lot of This is like the worst. Like, why? Why is this still happening? It, it hadn't really caught up that like now we're in a new social era and it's just, it was a very different type of video game troll. We hadn't seen that before, right? right. Um, and so at the same time, like, right, you know, I'm still going about my business. Most gamers that I've met in real life and people that I know 
uh, or that I came in contact with didn't know anything about it because Gamergate is really kind of a Twitter thing. It's Twitter and like a little bit of Twitch and in various places like Reddit. But mm -hmm. it's not really like, like it doesn't exist on Facebook. It's not really a thing other places. Um, and so a lot of people didn't know anything about it. Uh, but I started noticing that in the media, and particularly in my coworkers, there's this assumption that if you were a female gamer, then like there's a certain set of experiences have happened to you. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make any kind of sense, like, why you would still want to do this ridiculous hobby if you're going to get harassed on top of it. Yeah. So, so much of it was about harassment, harassment, harassment. Every time I read an article, it was about harassment. Every time I saw it, it was about harassment. And I was just like, God damn it. Like, this, this is strange, because, like, this is the, the moment that we've all been waiting for, because there have been so many fucking horrible things that have happened in video game land <laughs> that... Never got any kind of coverage or pickup or whatever. We all just remember um, it through like oral histories, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and all of a sudden, everything's in the news, but it's specifically like this one tiny band. And then I started realizing that like it's completely messed up because it's achieving the same kind of uh, outcome as what folks who hate women in games want, which is for us to be marginalized, for us to never talk about anything else except harassment, to be afraid to be uh, kind of like the single story that, you know, we keep talking about. And I was like, there should be more than one story about women in games. Um, and, you know, and media plays into that in some ways because media likes, like, a very packaged narrative, and it's really good to be, like, you know, girls against these, like, scary gamers in the basement, not really, like, you know, <laughs> that some of us are these scary gamers in the basement, some of us are, we're, we're in different places. Um, so I pitched this idea on just, like, doing a girl gamers project, period, on women who game. Um, and people were down, they were interested in it, because now gaming is a billion dollar industry, Twitch is kicking ass, everybody's like, oh my god, we got to get on this gaming bandwagon. Um, and so it, just, it was a matter of timing, and it was a matter of interest. Um, and I just wanted to explore, I wanted to explore a lot of things that I don't normally see in games conversations, uh, particularly games conversations about women. Right? Mm -hmm. In general, it's what's your gender, what's going on with gender, as opposed to kind of like all the millions of other things that we could be talking about. Yeah. yeah. So... It's always the same story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is always the same story, which is sad, right? Because it's not saying that people don't have these stories or these stories aren't valid, right? Right. Um, right. At the same time, like, it's also the story that people search for. Yeah. It's the story people want. And I started realizing, like, I literally had to start, uh, even before I did the documentary series, because I did a piece in ESPN, and, like, people kind of knew... Um, that I was a gamer beforehand, and I would get this, can you tell us stories about your harassment? And I'm like, no, not, <laughs> not, not really. <laughs> it's not, it's, one, it's not something that's really happened to me for a variety of reasons. I'm an old-school couch multiplayer, like, old person. Um, you know, I don't, I don't feel the need to go play with strangers. I have a lot of gamer friends that I cultivated over the years. Um, that's not necessarily the same way anymore, but that's, you know, yeah. how things are shifting. Um and also, like, you know, I just, I am going to be skeptical at all times of anything that likes to portray any group of people in one light, and particularly a victimized light, right? Um, because we're more than men. I started feeling like the story was overwhelming, like, let's look at this woman being harassed and not, you know, she's in games, she kicks ass at games, <laughs> like, she's a dope developer, she's a great designer, it's always kind of like whatever else is going on in your life was completely separate and yeah. buried by this one thing, which is you were harassed. And, like, yeah. this now becomes, like, narrative that people want. 
right? There's always so much more to talk about than um, than just kind of that. Yeah, the, kind of that. It's the the sound bites, right? And and we and we talk about this all the time because we'll I'll get like requests for interviews from um, from like journalists, right? And then and I'm always skeptical when it's like somebody from like the Washington Post or the Wall Street Journal or and I'm like. Yeah, I'm like, and then and, and I respond and they say, well, you, will you do this interview? We want to talk about women in games. And I say, absolutely. I will talk to you about women in games. I will talk to you about all the fabulous things that women in games do. I will talk to you about the things that I do. I will talk to you, yes, about our site, why our site exists. I will not talk to you specifically about Gamergate. And they're like, hmm, don't know if we want to still talk to you. I'm like, I'm not going to give you the sound bites that you want for a number of different reasons. One, I'll talk about harassment in general. Yes, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go out and start picking fights because you know some days we get enough heat that we don't need more, right? <laughs> so I'm not gonna say, I'm not gonna sit here and paint a big ass red bullseye on our foreheads because say, once you start to talk about it, you get more. <laughs> right. Um. So yeah, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. So it's, it's pretty interesting because there are so many other things in games and in kind of the games community that we need to think about, talk about, and address. You know, I'm not gonna we're not I'm not gonna play into your look at how we're a victim kind of narrative. <clears throat> so yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean same thing. I mean, and I'm in here, right? Like you would think people would know me by now. Um, but I still, like, I sent an email the other week where I just, like, literally was like, okay, I don't talk about Gamergate. Here's five people who do. They're all great. They really do a bunch of other stuff. They're the ones that should talk about this. If you want to talk to someone who's been harassed by Gamergate, here's five other names, right? Yeah. yeah. They're well-known. They're happy to talk to the media. They've been talking to the media. Here you go. Right? So if you want to talk about this, here's five other women I know. But this <laughs> is what I talk. This is what I do. And this is, this is my lane over here. Yeah. But we're all the same because we're just girl gamers, and that's the whole of our identity, right? <laughs> Gag. That's a nice segue, though, Alicia, because I have a question. Why the title Girl Gamers for the documentary, Latoya? <laughs> yeah, so it's one of those things that happens. Um, basically, when you say the word gamer, people think guy, mm -hmm. yeah, men, experts. If you're going to say I'm having a documentary that's all women, you then say it's the Girl Gamer Project or it's the Women Gamers. So it doesn't quite roll off the tongue. There's no alliteration. Like what? No. So then it becomes like the Girl Gamers Project. Then you realize there's really no good title that you'll agree on, your marketing department will agree on, SEO and like packaging will agree on. That's not actually Girl Gamers. Because um, I mean, you know, daughters of uh, you know, daughters of of Samus, daughters of of shake, you know, <laughs> you're a bunch of fun things that you would love, but then everybody goes, "That's some geek shit." Like that is no one, knows, no one's gonna know what that is. That's why right. I gave it something simple, right? And that's how you get girl game, which is great because everyone who has ever played while female knows that you immediately get like five responses. One, it's like, "Why are you even identifying yourself? Gender doesn't matter. I'm just a gamer. Leave me alone." Right? There's a whole segment of women that I was like, "That's gonna be their first response immediately. They might not ever even click." And I got that. That's cool. Um, and then you have like the second waivers who are like, I'm not talking about gender. I like being a special snowflake. And you're like, okay, that's great. Thank you so much. Special <laughs> <laughs> snowflake. Who's also, you know, she's been gaming forever. We met because I typed like 
gamers, female, and then my zip code in a Friendster like 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> you know, we hang out, and we hang out, like she'll get a call from her freaking clan from uh, Call of Duty. I'm like, are you serious? Like, really, really? So like, <laughs> she's, a, she's a more gamer's gamer. And she was talking about how she just met someone, and like the, they were at some kind of like mutual party. And she was getting introduced, and they're like, oh, yeah, hey, loves games, too. And the girl was like, yeah, but I'm really good. And it was just like, oh, you're one of those. You assume you're automatically better than any other woman in the room. Got you over there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other than that, it's just it's literally just kind of like alliteration. I figured a lot of people would have problems with the title. Um, a lot of people also had problems with the title because of who I included in, uh, <laughs> in you know, I wondered if people would have problems. Well, of course, people have problems with that because you know you can't just have a you can't have a community that is that is inclusive, right? Yeah, it's weird. Like everybody yeah. wants to talk about like the nuts and bolts of things. When you just like you're like, okay, like here's what I see, here's what's here. It's so much more drama. Yeah. Like I feel like I'd have made a big deal about it. Like it would have been, you know. It, you know, and it's one of those funny things because you know we and this is a, a monolithic we, whatever, get accused of focusing only on, say, identity politics or whatever, but we're the ones who are like, whatever, let's just be, you know? You, you want to identify and you want to do this and you want to come here and talk about this? Let's talk about it. Um, and it shouldn't be an issue. And yet. Yeah, and, and yet. yet. It, it always is. It always is. And even the people who tell you, like, I don't want to talk about identity politics, right? Yeah. Like, if I just look at, like, the women that I play with, right? Like, you know, one holds views similar to mine, one is very indifferent. Um, and another one, I'm pretty sure if she knew what Gamergate was, she would be down. Like, she would be, like, 100%, not your shield. Like, she'd be that person. Um, and you just, you just, like, you realize, you're like, Jesus Christ. Um, and you just realize that, like, that's who we are. <laughs> there's no, there's, we contain multitudes. There is no... Yeah like, archetypical female gamer. It doesn't exist. She doesn't exist, right? Yeah. Um, because we cycle through, but there's this idea of having this very easy lock-in narrative, right? You're a woman, therefore. Yeah. That's a problem. And for people who don't want to talk about identity, it's really interesting to me because I was like, you know, we can argue about, like, the number of strings on a guitar, on any given guitar and Guitar Hero, right? And we can bitch about, like, the physics that they use um, to animate, like, car flips in Grand Theft Auto. Um, but if we ever bring up, like, race, gender, anything that's, like, remotely sticky in the real world, people start freaking out. They lose their shit. They lose their shit. And it's just, like... Can't bring any realism into my escapism. Yeah. You. I'm like, this is the world. Like, we can't, we can't on one hand talk about, like, um, you know, Bioware and, and Mass Effect and, like, all of the amazing things that have happened with that storytelling, and then not look at the big glaring thing. Same thing with like Capcom, right? Mm -hmm. Resident, uh, Resident Evil Five was huge um, for those of us who were doing racing games coverage back then, um, and that was like the big fight pre Gamergate, I want to say, pre Dickwolves, pre Dickwolves. Um, but it was like racing Resident Evil Five, and just the fact that like there was so much at Capcom that had gone into like let's look at like the play of light in survival horror. Let's look at like they were looking at all these beautiful technical things. And they had absolutely no attention paid to the racial dynamic of what was being put forth in the marketing and in the trailers and then how they did the characters. Um, and they were, like, shocked by the backlash. They were shocked. Because Lily oh, yeah. in a fine comb over all this other detail and then just missed this big, glaring thing. That's the problem. That's yeah. the problem. Because you're always making something out of nothing. 
when <laughs> it's like really, really. Um, yeah, we. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like I do have a big old uh, target on my forehead when it comes to that, because because I'm good at that, right? Apparently, I'm good at making something <laughs> out of nothing. <laughs> and, you know, and God forbid you say, "Hey, this isn't a monolithic experience." Here's where I'm coming from. Here's where my experience has led me. Here's how I, here's how I analyze, critique, understand this because of who I am as an individual. And they're like, "Oh, now you're just looking for something to be mad at." No, darling, I stopped looking for something to be mad at 30 years ago. Um, you know, you know, I'm a grown up now, and uh, and this is what I do. So it's it's interesting. Because, you know, some days it's it's more infuriating than others. <laughs> You're like, why the hell am I still doing this? Um, but then things happen around you and you realize why you're still doing what you're doing. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things where, I mean, it felt so thankless back then. Uh, but it's interesting to go back and look. Like, I wrote a piece for Kotaku. I wrote it for Rachelicious and I posted it on Kotaku. Uh, that was about character design and sexism in creative worlds. And I called it And the Tits Have It, and then Brian Cassente was like, I can't put that. I'm not, that's not the title. So he like, renamed it on uh, Kotaku and then put it in, like, the, in the picture art, whatever. But basically, like, I wrote this like, long thing that was basically about, like, if I'm going to a panel, basically it was, the setup was N. Guy Kroll, who's a friend of mine, mm -hmm. um, was moderating this panel at NYCC about uh, character design. East and West, and they were looking. They had the designer from Final Fantasy come to talk to the designer of Deus Ex, right? Mm -hmm. And the designer from Final Fantasy talked about a ton of stuff, and the designer from Deus Ex talked about boobs, like the entire effing panel. And so, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like when I like brought that up in the Q and A, and I was like, "Oh, he's talking about this like all the time." <laughs> Can we yeah. talk a little bit about like how that might impact how you look at female characters if? It's like boobs, 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 characterization, boobs, 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 right? And he's like, out. He's like, I feel like you're trying to trick me. Like, it was this whole thing. He was um, like, no, dude, you're the one that's been sitting here talking about talking about boobs for 20 minutes. <laughs> and then, like, the best part was, like, so after this whole thing, he was like, I don't, I don't even draw boobs. Like, all the women are flat-chested. And I was like, wait, what? Like, he had this whole thing. And then, you know, so I, I leave the stage because end guy's like, look, we got, like, one last surprise. And they had each illustrator draw the other person's character. And so the dude from Deus Ex, uh, John Jacques Spilett, drew lightning. But he drew lightning as, like, this, you know, from the neck to, like, the torso. She was just all tits. Like, I could, that couldn't have been a better <laughs> punctuation point. <laughs> like, that was, like, scripted by the feminist gods. They were like, oh. <laughs> it was right. <laughs> I write this thing up, and I send it. And what I always appreciate about that piece and about the Kotaku audience at that time was because not everyone agreed with me. A lot of people were like, why the fuck does anybody care? Um, I got a couple of emails from very sad, sad men who were like, why don't you like beauty? What do you have against beautiful things? <laughs> I mean, I'm an older person, but, you know, mm -hmm. you have to be in everything. Uh, but I'm what looking I like at the piece that, right now. Oh, you remember but what I loved about it was that there was a lot of space to disagree. And that people who disagree generally left in the comments, you know, so I think you're full of shit, thanks. Sin. That's it. That was the end. Yeah. There was no doxing, there was no stalking, there was no none of that shit. It was just a nice conversation between people who had different opinions. 
Um, and so I feel like I have this weird amount of like faith that you know uh, that gamers can pull through, right? I feel like gamers, at some point, we can talk to each other enough where there's either a cessation of hostility or occasionally a changing of minds, which is amazing, right? That's like one of those rare like rainbow occasions. Um, but I think that in, in recent times. Because internet crusades are so popular, um, we're getting this whole new class of person here in who I don't think really cares about games or games culture that much, and who really just wants to kind of rage. Um, and I feel like that's more destructive to like the culture of gaming than mm -hmm. any critique could ever be, than any criticism can ever be, than any engagement with the art room could ever be, because it's engagement, right? Mm -hmm. Mary Flanagan says something in the theaters that doesn't make it in, unfortunately. Um, but she knows that it's almost better as a game designer to have people enraged with your game than to be bored with it. Mm -hmm. To people be so angry that they like want to stop playing than for them to indifferently walk away. Yeah. So that's kind of like, I think, where I'm coming from with that. Awesome. So, can I jump in? I guess. <laughs> no, go ahead, Alicia. Go ahead. My bad. No. No? Oh, okay. Um, well, because you, she was talking about you, Latoya. We're talking a little bit about um, a question that I had about body diversity. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, so I've been doing some research because I, I still identify as a, as a new as a new gamer. I'm a new convert. Welcome. Um, and Welcome. <laughs> thanks. That used to be the way this um, went. I just want to point that out. <laughs> yeah. I'm in the games. Everybody's like, yeah. I'm <laughs> Trying to like get that back for 2016. We're like, come back to the nerd cult. Come on. We're not gonna let her go, so it's fine. She's stuck. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I apparently I am. Um, but one of the things that I have noticed as a new gamer, and and I know of course filters come through personal experiences, but this whole idea of biodiversity, especially in terms of female characters, is it's really non-existent. Even Laura Croft, who's who's been remade to you know fit. A more realistic image still, still just fits the same stereotype of, uh, of you know, it's just maybe her thigh gap is a little bit smaller now, and her and her and her breasts aren't quite as protruding, um, but all women pretty much look the same. Small and waist, I, big hips, big tits. <laughs> leave it. Um, thigh gap. Yeah, yeah thigh gap, thigh gap all the way. I wrote a really <laughs> lovely poem about the thigh gap. Yeah, uh, biodiversity is big. Um, it's, it's a big thing. Yeah, no, go ahead. Like, what are your thoughts about that? I, because I saw that uh, Overwatch came out with a new character, or is coming out with a new character, uh, but that feels like going from one extreme to another, in my opinion. I haven't, you know, played the game, of course, um, but it's going from this soft kind of feminine to this, I'm manly kind of, and but there's no middle ground. There's no. There's no like full body women. There's no, <laughs> there, there's there's nothing that's that demonstrates um, that that diversity that, that we are exposed to in reality. But I mean, it's so hard that to even get women who aren't yeah. white. I mean, how dare we ask for different body types? <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, of course, as a woman of color. Where am I at? <laughs> One of my friends, my, uh, one of my friends, Therese, who's also the editor on this project, she's like the unseen gamer behind the helm. Uh, she's in game design school right now, and one of the things she was like, I really don't get, now that I know how you build a game, 
She's like, they act like they can't just open the color palette and just move over. Like, it's like... <laughs> I don't understand. Interesting color. Um, yeah, uh, in terms of body diversity, I think it's really interesting to look at it from two different perspectives, right? The first perspective is just the straight representation, which is what we normally focus on, right? Um, and yeah, like a lot of people are building their mold out of certain people. Like, for example, did you know that Laura Croft was based on uh, Nana Cherry and Tank Girl. Those were her two inspirations. Mm. And Tank Girl is very tall and lean, but Nana Cherry is very, very curvy. Right? Yeah. The very curvy body type. And so it's interesting to see, like, like between them, it kind of made Lara. Right? And it was kind of like, mm, let's just put put this here and put that there. And, <laughs> <laughs> right? I just feel like, that was, like if you look at both of them, you're like, you know, it's okay. interesting. You know, she could have been a little bit more solid. It wouldn't be a problem. Um, I like Lara Croft's body type. I think she's very idealized. I did not like some of her other incarnations where suddenly, like, she became kind of like this weird toothpick and boobs <laughs> combo. <Yeah. laughs> yep. It was just all unfortunate, like, all the way around. It was like, I don't know what happened. Um, but why don't they design characters that are different? I think that for them, their mold and their idea and that body type when they're designing characters is going to be this lean life woman. And it doesn't really matter what she's doing or who she is or where she might be in society or what character that might be. Um, first and foremost, a lot of designers, particularly ones that are male, design people that they want to look at, right? Um, they design, if you're going to draw somebody, I'm going to draw my ideal, right? And if there is biodiversity, a lot of times it's only in, like, side characters slash, like, window dressing. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you even see this in like Grand Theft Auto with like you have all these different <laughs> girlfriends, and they do kind of look different. But if you like, if you line them all up, because we were looking at them for the series, and I was like, yeah, it's like the same person. They just kind of like switch the hair out, switch the eye out, and they were like, here you go, just put her back in the world. Um, the second thing you can think of, which I I didn't know until um, an awesome friend of mine who I won't name here, because I'm not sure if the story is supposed to be public. Um, explained to me was she used to be a voice actress, right? And she is a slight uh, Asian American woman. And she started losing jobs when 3D modeling came out because they want to go with people who can both now physically and vocally represent a character. Yeah, and yeah. all the characters are these tall, oh. lean, kind of busty, semi-Amazonian women that we see. Uh, they don't make space for women uh, who don't fit that. Even if they're slim, maybe they're too short, or maybe yeah. they don't have enough breasts or whatever. And so she's actually switched careers. It's really, really interesting that in, in the you know seven years that we've known each other, mm. she switched careers um, because of the advent of 3D modeling and things like that. Um, so there is this interesting like cinema tyranny thing uh, that's happening as well with body types, right? And sometimes it's just like, oh, this is the person that we want to make it equip. Uh, but it's about the same type of work and design. So Noni de la Pena, who does uh, a lot of immersive journalism projects, uh, because she's reporting on the real world, you see a lot more body types in her work, right? Mm. And a lot of different types of people um, that she goes through and she models. But it has to be, I think, a conscious choice mm -hmm. for a lot of people. Um, and I think that when you're doing things like doing model casting for a video game character, if that's what you're looking for, then you're going to keep getting the same kind of characters with the same types of looks and the same types of attitude, or like the same types of, you know, just design, um, because that's where 
people are putting their focus, right? The focus that they're spending on women characters is eye candy. Like, that's what they're thinking. Even if they want to make her smart or if they want to make her independent or what have you, it's still kind of secondary to uh, this idea of sexiness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, no, that, that makes sense. I had never heard of, obviously, as a newbie, um, about the whole 3D gaming. And, and yeah, it was the first person I heard it from, and then I started realizing like, more and more people uh, were talking about it, and it was, it was becoming like a big pressure point um, because there's not that many voice actors, right? Like, there's just not that many. Yeah. Um, there are other people who might want to break into it, but, like, you know, in terms of being able to carry a game. And so that extra barrier now mm -hmm. is interesting, and it's, it's shaping the industry in a very specific type of way where it's a lot of, like, more traditional actresses coming in. Right. And I can see that being obviously problematic. Um, I mean, you know, it's not that it's not a real body type. I think that sometimes people really get into this whole thing. Like, women don't look like that. It's like, yeah, some people do. Yeah, they do. No, no, no. I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> but it starts to be the only body type that populates video game yeah. worlds. Yeah. Right. Or when it becomes the only relatable body type. Or the one that right. people are going, well, if we make her a different way, she won't sell. Yeah. Right. Nobody wants to play, like, a fat heroine. Fat, right? What is mm -hmm. fat? Like, Mindy Kaling is fat in Hollywood speak, right? Like, that whole idea of what is a different size. Then again, right, every time people bring up the body size thing, I think about the skin color thing that happened that Naomi told me about one time. Like, Acclaim had this game called, like, Dance something. I forget. Not Dance Central. It was called Dance something. It was before, like, you know, the Connect. And they had this game, but all the bodies you could be were white. And, like, people were bringing this up in the forums, and they were like, hey, like, I'd like to play as a black person. And the, the mod got all indignant, and he was like, look, black is extra, okay? Like, nothing in life is free. If you want to play as a black person, you need to pay for the mod. <laughs> <laughs> and we were all like, black is extra. Like, this was a whole new thing. Wow. Block. The attitude of like, be made one thing and be happy with it. Shut up. Is <laughs> the other part of this problem. Um, where it's not like, let's just try it. Let's just try somebody who looks a little bit different. Uh, I think Maddie was writing about like Beard Ryu and how yeah. they, weren't, they weren't ready <laughs> for the response. <laughs> That women had to beard Ryu, and a, a big part of that, I think, is a lot of the men who were designing these characters never thought, like, hey, somebody might find an alternate version of this guy attractive. <laughs> like, they're just like, everybody likes Ryu the way he is, muscles, clean cut, perfect, done. And it's never occurred to them to ever change that model. Yeah. Right? And so I think the, the change comes when we have enough people working in the industry who are consciously going, okay, here's my story, here are my characters, and then here's how I think they can look. Mm -hmm. And I keep pitching things that they feel like might not be the most attractive and most sexual, um, or might not be like the most masculine, but are still, that still get sales. Mm -hmm. And then once they do that, the problem is like that chicken or egg problem, like somebody has to do it and then mm -hmm. prove that it still gets sales. Um, that's when you might start seeing more body diversity. But then I think it's on us too to make sure that we're supporting independent games or games that show heroines that are of different body types and you like seek those out and hold those up because that's where these game designers get started. It's the same thing in film. Right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So I'd, I'd like to jump in actually because I think that this um, leads into a question that I actually had 
um, about uh, the Girl Gamers documentary um, and your discussion of indie games um, as being a space that allows for more diversity um, in the characters and in representation. And so I was wondering if you might be able to talk a little bit more about why you think that is, why you think that is a space that allows that, and how that kind of converses with some of what we've been talking about now with, like, Laura Croft and, you know, bigger AAA games. And <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> I'm so he was like, oh, mom's dead. I don't know what happened. Like, he was freaking out. So we're here now. <laughs> oh, how cute. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, if you might be able to speak a little bit more to that and what you see going on in those spaces and, and what you think is significant about that. Cool. So um, somebody on YouTube, interestingly enough, accused me of uh, overemphasizing the pull of indie right? <laughs> Like the whole India savior thing. So let's let's. <laughs> all right, I'm a consoler, which by nature means that I play mostly mainstream games. Right, that's mm -hmm. in general that's who I am. Um, but the thing I love about the indie space when I entered it, and I entered with Indiecade and then started finding other spaces mm -hmm. uh, after that, is that Indiecade, like just the change. Okay, let me let me say that over. Games are experiencing what the web experienced about five years ago, uh, or ten years ago where Web 2.0 happened, and suddenly all these people who maybe we dabble a little bit, you're talking? Is that okay? uh, maybe who dabble a little bit in web design, suddenly were equipped with these tools to be able to put together blogs or to upload videos or to do things without knowing really, really hard intensive coding. And that opened up an entire new world and new job classes and new types of people um, that we wouldn't have been able to get or enjoy before then, right? Games is having a similar renaissance right now, where suddenly there's all of these people um, who have skills and who have design skills and who do all kinds of great stuff, but they just didn't have maybe like the uh, wherewithal to get into a studio. They weren't located in a place. I mean, like games, um, the mainstream game scene is really, really limited. When I was younger, um, like I live in the D.C. area, and so it was Bethesda Softworks or like two or three companies out in Hunt Valley. Um, including Sid Meier's company where they make Civ, right? That was it. And so if you couldn't get a job, and again, like, these places aren't, like, hiring. So if you couldn't get a job, any one of these given, like, four or five job openings that might open up once every two or three years, that's it. Like, there was, no, there was nothing else for you to do. And with the advent of places like Steam and Unity and, like, all these things that really allow people to take game design into their own hands, you start seeing much better and much different um, views of the world, Right. Um, which started leading to this increased diversity that we've been dying for, a lot of us have been craving. Um, it doesn't always work that way in the same way <laughs> with, the with the web, right? We don't always see, you know, diverse tech companies, <laughs> even though they're brand new and they started out. Like, you know, people sometimes will replicate what they've seen and that's what they like to do and that's all they want to do. Mm -hmm. But um, I think in terms of the indie games revolution, it started not only allowing more creators to do the work, but to also communicate with the creators, to see the work, to, to grow things, to experiment with things that they wouldn't have been able to do so before. Um, and just that kind of pollination of ideas, instead of being like stuck in a certain type of studio for, you know, the <laughs> 80 hours a week that you need to ship this game, and then you guys move on to the next revenue project. Um, having people who are kind of like communities of artists, communities of people who weren't into... Uh, the mainstream game world. I feel like that sparked um, 
this amazing wave of new content. So you're getting a lot of things that critics have rightfully pointed out aren't really games, right? There's a lot of immersive experiences. There's a lot of art projects that have like a small interactive component. Uh, mm -hmm. I saw one of them at Tribeca, and I was like, this is not a game. It's good. It's really interesting, <laughs> but this is not a game. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about that lately. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really interesting thing. Um, I like what Nomi does where she really marks stuff as like immersive journalism. Right? She doesn't say this is a game or this is a unique VR experience. She's going like, you get full thing on, you're watching the story that happens, and we'll give you some context. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, um, and I feel like a lot of people haven't learned that distinction yet, so you're seeing a lot of things that are just kind of, you think it's a game because we built it and it works for PlayStation. Oh, yeah. um, but uh, yes. Um, but I think that this this indie wave, right? Because these things do tend to come in waves. This indie wave wiped in just like a bunch of new ideas and breath and like and really a lot of developers um, and mainstream publishers have started to pay attention. And so it's going to be really difficult, I think, for any game like game publishing house worth their salt. To keep pretending that like women aren't here <laughs> like, mm -hmm. and don't have design shops, that um, there aren't awesome queer people, there aren't awesome people of color uh, that are doing great things in the space. Because now, instead of like hoping that we're on the right networks or moving to LA and hoping that somebody's there, <laughs> exactly. Instead of doing all that, right? Now you know all the cool, interactive, findable portfolio. We're talking to each other. We're doing great things. I mean, all code liberation. I don't know how many women are getting into gaming. That they're just kind of like pumping people out through the New York uh, University system, and it's just it's it's amazing. It's amazing, and I just feel like that indie wave is going to take us into an interesting space in the same way that like independent movies and Sundance were able to push the needle on like what does a mainstream movie look like, right. what kind of thing. You know, Jim right. might have been terrible. But a movie like Jim would not have been made had it not been for these indie waves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, My son is having a He's just going to trip out over here. It's cool. <laughs> I feel like we've also been kind of dancing around like the idea of genre a little bit too. Oh. Right. <laughs> uh, I know we brought up, like, uh, you, I think you mentioned survival horror a little bit earlier. We're talking about Laura Croft, right? So, um, and that actually kind of is making me think about my other question that I had, which is about that idea of genre. Um, because you talk about that in the documentary series as well. <laughs> um, and you specifically mentioned survival horror as being a genre um, that's, like, more of a site for female protagonists. Yes. Um, and so that that was something that really fascinated me, and I was wondering, if, uh, you know, if you had any thoughts about why you think that is, like why not just survival horror, but maybe more broadly, why some genres feature more female protagonists than others, and you know what problematic implications might result from that as well. Cool. All right. No, that's a great question. Um, so. Let's start about, let's do genre first, and then we'll go into kind of like the whys of genre, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. I didn't realize when I, when I talked to a lot of women about this documentary, <laughs> silly. When I talked to a lot of women about this documentary, one of the things that, you want to go dada? You want to go dada? One of the things I didn't realize, not the hammer. He <laughs> 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 He was like, Dad out there for a surprise. 
That happens in our house a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Mary yesterday. So there's literally like there's like a Bobar doll and like five books and a hammer. He's like. <laughs> 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 That's gonna be my game, by the way. Whenever I start making indie games, it'll be like Baby Quest, yeah. <laughs> killing themselves. <laughs> you have twenty four hours alone with this baby. It's hard. <laughs> I would play it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a babysitting sim. Um, anyway, so genre. So one of the things that I noticed uh, when I was talking to other women is that a lot of people got turned off to video games early, mm. and it never occurred to them to try another one. And I was like, why? Well, yeah. You know, like, but it was because I think my father, and I, I think I told my origin story in the thing where it's like, you know, my dad was like, this is my system, nobody touches it, it's all me, and I was like, I must touch this gold thing. <laughs> I have to do this. <laughs> Sorry, Mom, I got to go in there. Um, but my dad bought batches of games, right? And so when I was going through and flipping over the cartridges, it was like, okay, Duck Hunt, Nintendo, or Duck Hunt, Super Mario, Zelda, and then later, like, more stuff would come into the house. Later, it was like, I could play Doom, or I could play Oddworld, or I could play Tekken, or I could play Crash Bandicoot, or I could yeah. play all these things. Yeah. And so it just occurred to me, like, just keep going, and you'll find a game you like, right? At some point, there'll be something you like. But people didn't get that message. And so I was talking to a woman who was doing, like, an interview series, uh, the more standard, like, why are you harassed? I'm like, I'm not, no, that's not, let's move on. Um, but I mentioned to her, I was like, games have genres, right? And so the type of person that you are will probably correspond with the type of video games that you like, right? I was like, for example, I'm not a horror fan, so I don't like survival horror as a genre. Now, there's exceptions. I played tons of Resident Evil, just because, why wouldn't I? Um, <laughs> I wanted to play Silent Hill, but I was too fucking scared, couldn't do it. Fatal Frame, oh my god, no. <laughs> oh, Fatal Frame's so scary. That's like when you like force yourself to watch like The Grudge or The Ring. You no, know you're too scared as fuck, and you're just going to do it anyway. <laughs> but you also have to kind of see it. That's where I am sometimes. You have like one eye open and one eye closed because yeah. this shit is scary. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's like the movie is just that good. It's like, <laughs> oh my god. I just have to see it, right? Mm -hmm. um, but like it's that idea of genre, right? And it's interesting because mm -hmm. like there's outside of like there's no such thing as like a rom-com in video games. Yeah. There's like dating, but there's no equivalent. It was interesting because when I was doing the genre thing, I was trying to like block it out. To like help make recommendations, and then I realized I'm like, there's like, if you want this like a fun, friendly game with maybe a romantic element, it's not a lot of that. I can find you fun goofy games. I can find you different stuff, but there's not a lot of like the stuff that a rom com does for you, like entertainment wise. You there's not games in that genre quite yet, right? Yeah. We don't have. We've made other types of things more of a priority. Um, a lot of us play action games to get that kind of same feeling and payoff. Um, but yeah, so there's there's this idea of genre, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that games have their own distinct language and their own distinct genres, right? Just like there's not movies that are like missed for the most part, right? Like that's it's that's a unique thing to video games that does not necessarily translate to film. Mm. Uh, so anyway, so all these things kind of like swirl together when you start thinking about the role of women in games and how we cast women in games. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that women are cast in video game world is survival horror allows women to be kind of kick-ass and yet, like, still very interesting and engaging. So do fighters. Um, fighting games, like, generally, like, if you pick a woman, she will whoop your ass. Like, that's kind <laughs> of where... <laughs> that's kind of how they make it, which I love, right? 
mm-hmm. which I love. You have stuff like Dead or Alive, Beach Volleyball, right? Oh. Um, diminished <laughs> from the fact that it's kicked ass in the last game. It's just that you feel like to feel okay about yourself, you have to objectify them. Uh, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I don't know what's going on with the developers. They, maybe they can answer that on a different podcast. Um, but this idea that like, some genres are a little bit friendlier to women in the same way that uh, if you look at particularly like older horror movies, right, they were a little bit nicer to people of color, right? Um, campier genres were generally nicer to people of color in film than other things. It's kind of like, well, I guess we're going to suspend this belief to get a vampire in there. I guess we could have a black doctor, too. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> since, we're, since we're making shit up, let's just go crazy. It's already <laughs> totally fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so, so this idea that there's some genres that are more friendly to women is a thing I think you'll see. And when you start listing out particularly like female heroines and you just go down the list, you start realizing that overwhelmingly playable women are just in this cluster of genres, right? There's like the survival horror, yeah, and then there's fighters, and then there's like a small pod of like action heroines, right? Yeah. And then there's like mages. All together. Yeah. <laughs> all the mages. <laughs> Especially if they're healers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you occasionally might, you might pick up a couple extra ones, but you know, in general, they're like, let's use white magic, which, again, a whole other, like, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> 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 um, let's use our white mage. Um, so, um, so you start, but you start seeing, I like, think, women kind of get clumped together because it's like, what's your role? And it's rare that you have something like, you know, like, you know, State of Emergency that Rockstar did quite a few years ago, where you have a woman that's like, all right, chaos, you have my pipe. You're like, damn, because just, that's just what it is. Uh, but for every one game like that, there's normally 800 or so other games that don't have a significant female playable character or that yeah. don't have a woman that's doing anything of interest um, in the game. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what you end up getting. Yeah. And and often if it does happen, it is off the radar. It's not doesn't necessarily have to be an indie game. It might just be one of those games that kind of falls in the middle of notice. For instance, I'm sure you saw the piece that got bandied around about a year ago. That there had only been 14 playable black women in all of gaming history. Oh yeah. You know, That's and everybody I... was talking about it. And but yeah. it really it comes down to like how you measure that. And then there were games that were left off the list just because nobody talked about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, like one of the games that we mentioned earlier, Ashley State of Decay has two at least, playable black women, but it's not on the list, because nobody cares about it, except for, like, me and four other people. Um, <laughs> and they're probably really dedicated. But there's just, you're right, but things falling into these same gaps and traps, like, specifically, speaking of zombie games, there's a lot more friendliness to people of color and to women in the zombie um, style of apocalypse than any other kind of apocalypse. Um, and with horror games, the dependency on the final girl, which comes with its own set of tropes and problems, you know. So it's not like these things are, are you know, the paragons just because they happen to have more women. There's just bullshit everywhere. And honestly, <laughs> I think you know, a lot of it comes from lazy design more than necessarily, like, particular. Like, they don't set out to say, we're going to hate women today. But or is it canon? let's not think of anything new or fresh today. Is it canon, though, Alicia? I mean, because you... Think about it. After Night of the Living Dead, can you have a zombie apocalypse without a black person? No, you have to. Right. I mean, so and that, and that's another interesting thing is like how much. Well, then that's the that's the same thing I'm saying though. It's not like 
people who make zombie games necessarily are saying, let's be real progressive today, it's falling back on those same things. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's people like, aren't making strides necessarily to be really innovative in terms of characters or narrative or world design or anything. It's like, well, this is kind of how it's always been done, so we're going to do that too. Yeah. It's yeah, like I mean, narrative and and There's representational that. structures that are already yeah. in place yeah. that are just being perpetuated. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you have certain expectations of the genre, so you want them to follow in line with that. But it's also nice to have some innovation, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's hard to argue for innovation, too. Like, one of the things that um, I'm trying to make more obvious to people is, like, how much money is in games now, mm. right? I interviewed this guy, because um, at Fusion, I'm kind of an editor-at-large. I do what I want, which is great. I kind of say, I'm on this subject today, and they're like, oh, I had to tell you a good job. Let's see what happens. I'm, like, I'm writing two pieces about like financial collapse, right? Uh, and then I'm like, producing the Girl Gamers documentary. So I'm like, yeah, hedge, equity, hedge funds, Girl Gamers, it all works together. <laughs> but uh, one of the things, I was interviewing this guy who did, who had this great idea for a comic, it was on, uh, for a movie, it was on Kickstarter called The Book of Mojo. And it featured like this little black girl, which is a really interesting kind of like, Creole-influenced magic tale. It looked great. And I talked to him about it, and, like, it turns out he's a Pixar alum. Ooh. And I was like, you used to work at Pixar? Like, you can't get this shit funded? Are you serious? Like, why are you on Kickstarter? Like, you know. <laughs> he goes, well, he was like, the movie industry right now, and this is the case for, like, I think a lot of art, where things can be either, like, super bootleg and indie, or it can be really, really, really big budget, and yeah. it's very hard to make things in the middle. Yeah. Days, right? Um, John Waters, the famous director, was talking about how hard it is just to make like an eight million dollar movie. Yeah. He was like, you feel like you're not asking for tons, but like people, the financing just isn't there these days. It's either like super low budget indie or super big budget blockbuster, but there's not a lot of in between. Mm -hmm. um, and we and we see that in games as well, right? Mm -hmm. And so like the stories that would have been in like the middle, um, we're kind of getting shoved to the sides in favor of like this is going to do millions of units or this is going to do, like, 500 units, we're going to make it for $500, right? Like, that kind of problem. Um, but he said it's kind of like high-stakes poker right now. And he was like, look, I can go with this new thing that's untested, that we don't have an audience for, we don't know. He's like, or we could just remake Transformers again. And we already know there's an audience, and we already know, like, people are going to show up for it. And he's like, when, you know, when there's millions of dollars on the line, it's really hard mm -hmm. to make that argument yeah. to do something new or to do something innovative, or to take a, like, quote, niche character and hope that she covers and she holds the game. And it takes a while, because it's weird. Like, if you look at TV shows in the fall lineups, right? Like, who was killing it? It's Jane the Virgin. It's fresh off the boat. It's Shondaland in general. How to get away murder scandal, right? Like, Empire was the top show on TV. Like, clearly, brown people are winning. Yeah. <laughs> been winning for a while now. Um, but there's still this idea that, like, smart money and what's mainstream is going to reflect back to consumers what they expect to see. Um, the other part of it, too, is being, I think, that person in the room that wants to advocate for something different. And that's very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. Particularly, let's say, let's, let's say you're at Rockstar or something, or, or a firm like that. Let's not say Rockstar because I actually know people used to work there. Um, let's say you're just at some you know, large publisher of games, right, like Ubisoft or something. And you might be the only person of color in your maybe you're not even a person of color, maybe you're just a white guy that wants to do something different. And then you have to argue with everybody about like why you want to make this person different 
when your demographic testing, your user testing, internet forums, and all this other stuff are all saying keep it the same. Um, and that becomes difficult. So it's, it's weird. It's like the, that um, the problem with following Hollywood, right? We used to use a term a lot called cinema envy for video games. I think that's kind of falling out of favor these days. I don't feel like I hear it as much. Um, but we used to say video games have cinema envy, right? We're always trying to remake what movies do. But the problem is that movies have a formula too. And, you know, it doesn't matter how great Max Payne is if it's just basically like we're just going to make a movie that you can play, right? You fall into yeah. all the same scripts, you do all the same shit. Mm -hmm. um, but to get something that's innovative means a long, hard fight all the way up. And then finally, like when somebody greenlights it, um, then other people will rush and try to fill that gap. But there always has to be like those people who are willing to be the innovators and willing to like get beat up, take the punches, go forth, shop this thing, say I'm right when everybody else says I'm wrong, and do all those things. Mm -hmm. Cool. So this, we've been kind of talking about around this. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, for, for a bit tonight. Um, and you guys touch upon it um, in the in the series itself, but the topic of race, mm -hmm. um, and we've talked about it tonight. So since you get to do anything you want, <laughs> <laughs> okay, do you within have reason, plans to do a larger project mm -hmm. that looks at racing games at all. Uh -oh. You're muted. Race, yeah. So. <laughs> My running joke when I was doing this was, I'm going to make a documentary series called Black People Love Sega. It just went too long came with that. Um, I would do an entire series on race. Um, that's harder sell, <laughs> for obvious reasons. We know. <laughs> yeah. You're talking about even more of a niche audience. Thank you. One sec, i got to get my charger for this thing. There we go. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so cute. Well, sorry, honey. What are you doing? You me? Okay, bye. Um. Thank you. You tricked you. Thank you. Um. Yes, I would do an entire series on race. Number one. Easily. Easily. Um. Because there's there's so much to explore. Honey, it's not dollars. Thank you. You feel like this is a dollar. Thank you. This is a business card. <laughs> I guess it represents dollars in some ways. Uh, anyway, back to games. So, um, so we would do an entire series on race easily. We could. Um, my editor is Filipina, and when the new Filipina character came out for Tekken, she was talking about how the fighting style is influenced by colonialism, and I was like, all right, we've got to just get this done on a podcast. How about we play her and talk about it um, and have that, that conversation around, like, what does that mean to see that type of representation? Yeah. In a game. Um, <laughs> to see that kind of representation in a game. Uh, race, though, is a little bit more difficult because people feel so aggrieved by it in a way that, like, it's interesting because there's that weird gender misogyny hate. And then there's like this weird racial hate, which is like you just don't belong here at all, ever in life. Like you should all die, not be on this planet, be somewhere in Africa or not. Maybe we'll oh yes, yes. There's there's, just, there's so much animosity with it. Um, and then of course, like then you get into the gender issues, which is like if we do a thing on black gamers, like who gets to be the gamer here? Um, it's probably not going to be me. 
<laughs> but I mean, like, I feel like there's there's tons to explore, tons to explore there, right? For example, the entirety of Def Jam Fight for New York. How did that game happen? How did this come about? What's going on? Um, I wanted to talk about the brief Vine sensation uh, that was created by these young kids of color called Hit That Super Mario um, by Eugene the Dream, who's like the beat maker, and who remixed the Mario theme with like trap music. And <laughs> dance sensation. Oh, have you guys not heard Hit That Super Mario? It's amazing. It'll change your life. Yes. Uh, it was written up in Billboard. It's great. It's great. Like he doesn't own it, so he can't sell it or anything. But it's great. Mm. Um, sweetie. Thank you. Yes, sweetie. Hi. Um, but yeah, I would most, I would totally do a race one. And it's also interesting to see too, like this whole idea of uh, Asian identity in game development, yeah. right? Uh, particularly because so many of our games come from Japan, right? Yeah. So many of the games that we love come from Japan. And that's a completely different set of cultural assumptions, yeah. right? And a different way of viewing and seeing and being. Um, I think there's a conversation between Elaine and Andrea. Elaine and Andrea are the two Latinas who are talking at NBK. That they're the only interview I did together um, because they were friends and because they were very short on time. So I was like, I'll just get you both in the same chat. Um, and they mentioned, Elaine had mentioned that this, this difference that she felt between killing people in a fantasy setting versus in a uh, more realistic setting. Yeah. And to her, she framed it as a difference between East and West, that Japanese games were more about fantasy, and fantasy worlds, and maybe you're hunting dragons and things like that, and you're not killing other humans in the way that so many American games are focused on that you know, hyper-realistic, militaristic yeah. Um, yeah. way of shooting and, and looking at violence. And, you know, and that's a different thing, right? You can talk about the percentage of developers, right? Um, when I was pitching the series, when I was explaining different parts of the series up the chain, um, one of the things I noted, I was like, look, black developers are about 2.5% of the population. That's the equivalent population of the trans population, two point, like about 2.5%, yeah. according to the uh, International Game Developers Association. I was like, that's a big, yeah, that's a big deal. <laughs> like, there are as many trans people in gaming as there are black people. And <laughs> like, that's, that's a lot. Um, and to talk about, like, why that is, um, Betsy DeSalvo is a great researcher that I met uh, about ten years ago. Well, not ten years ago, about five years ago. In a conference at 2010. Um, and I met her, and she was doing research on why... Okay. on why black males <laughs> drop out of computer science programs, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so she started this program <laughs> called uh, Glitch Game Testers. <laughs> and, uh, Glitch Game Testers was all about what, like trying to figure out if this interest in video games could be translated into computer science degrees. Um, and she did this whole thing that I would do, I would do tons on, this whole idea of like play practices and the idealized masculine black body versus the idealized computer science body. Oh. He loves to make fun of me when I'm lecturing. He's like, mommy says it like this. You done? <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I mean, there's, and then I like, there's just there's so much to explore, right? Uh, Latinos and Latino stereotypes, yeah. representation, 
Mm -hmm. um, this whole idea of mystical natives versus like real natives. Yeah. <laughs> Colonialism at large. Mm -hmm. um, I'm writing something for Kishona Gray and Andre Brock's book. Yeah. That's going to come out, I don't know, in 2016 sometime. That's when the papers do. Yeah. I'm doing a thing on like looking yeah. at colonialism through a different lenses, and one of the lenses is age vampires, and the other lens is like Jared Diamond's guns, germs, yeah. and steel, and look at these things as texts, right? Mm -hmm. Where they're both explaining a similar cultural phenomenon, but they come to very different conclusions, or they lead the viewer, the reader, experiencer to different types of, of conclusions. Mommy. Yes, honey. You want to go play with Dada? You can't be quiet. You wanna watch Odd Squad? Uh. Odd Squad. <laughs> Odd Squad is our favorite too. Um, anyway, so yes. So yeah. the short answer to your question is yes. We could have done eight million things on race. Yeah. And it was literally just timing. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing too is is how would we want to do a thing on race, right? Mm -hmm. And does it have to be like you know, race, all oh, caps, let's talk about racism, or can we do, I kind of like things to be a little bit more subtle than that, um, and a, a part of me would have a lot of fun doing a gamer documentary that is just all people of color and to not say a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Let it roll, people keep expecting like the white guy's going to show up and it just never happens, it's just like, <laughs> you know, I might like throw one in at the end for token purposes. Maybe like the white guy. <laughs> the token white guy. Fuck yeah. yeah. Like, he was like, that's how I made this game. And I got to cut off to somebody else. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> you know, uh, but uh, there's, I think there's a, a ton to explore. It's very, in general, I feel mm -hmm. like race, identity, and all these different social things are still very underexplored. I know to some people they feel like all they do is talk about Games and identity. It's so boring. But the problem is we're having the same conversations all the time, right? Which yeah. is yeah. Like all of us knocking on the door being like, include us. Please include us. We are here. We have come. We have given you our money. Can we at least get like <laughs> half a character? I have one cosplay option. Can you help me out here? Like, you know, we're all trying to do like these different things. Um, and I just feel like there's just there's there's so much. And there's so much richness um, that games give us that's just not being reflected right now. And part of that, um, I, I wink at it in the series because we couldn't really go into it. Um, and you'll see it a lot when we drop the last episode on Tuesday. Um, but one of the biggest things, too, is this idea of who gets to write gaming history. And yeah. To be represented in gaming history because it's not that many people. It's almost like, you know, I used to study... I used to study hip hop. You move the rock? Good job. I'm really proud of you. Um, I used to study hip hop, right? And particularly like global hip hop and the spread of it around the world. And for a long time, the only person writing seriously about hip hop culture was this guy named Ronan Rowe. And Ronan Rowe was not like a super great writer, but he was the only guy doing it. So, like, that was it. You were dealing with Ronan Rowe. And if Ronan Rowe was being a little bit creepy when he was in Japan or whatever, you just had to kind of go with it. Because he's the only guy writing about hip hop, and for games, that guy is David Kushner, and he wrote all these different things. Like I was reading a section from one of his books called Jacked, which is the Grand Theft Auto story. Yeah. Right. Have, did you read that? Uh huh. And do you remember that part where he's talking about the vaginal slot? Yes. 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 Okay. Almost every woman I've read this to has been like, oh, right. It's just he's not even a quote. 
Shapiro. It's not even a quote. It is not even a quote. It's him. It's just him editorializing and trying to explain how much this guy loves Galga so much that he wanted to pound the buttons and stick it in the vaginal slot. And we're all like, every woman I know, every woman I know, looked, I mean, I, in, in one of the old cuts of the documentary, it's in there. Uh, <laughs> like, that reading, like, I put in, like, in the show notes, like, creepy voice guy needs to, like, read it out loud. <laughs> Um, and but it's obvious, like he didn't feel like women were going to be the audience for this, right? right. He's for himself, he's writing it for people he knows. And he's not thinking about anybody else. Um, and like you know, they're not all that gross. Like I also read Console Wars, um, and I thought that was a great book. It was really interesting, really dynamic. There's going to be two movies about it, a documentary and a fiction. Um, it's great, but if you read it with a critical eye, you notice. Women are generally footnotes. <laughs> They're mentioned in parentheses. They're mm. mentioned as a size. There's one lady who gets like her own paragraph. That was a big deal. Because yeah. she was the effing founding editor of Nintendo Power. Yeah. <laughs> she gets a paragraph in a 500-something page book. Mm. Right? Like, there's just you just don't see us anywhere. Right? You just don't see us. Um, and it's not because we weren't there. A lot of people are always shocked. A lot of people are always shocked when I tell them that, like, a woman designed Centipede, right? Donna Bailey. Mm -hmm. And it's just people just don't think about it in that way. Like, where were women? Women don't do games. Women weren't into games. And they just keep... Like, we're new to the party. ...ignoring where we were. There we go. I am like quietly pulling up something on the other, on my phone that he will watch. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he finished this one. Oh, look at the O games, Gavin. <laughs> he found his face. It's like dang on buffering. It's like taking breath. But yeah, so I mean, there's there's so much hidden history or what Lane will say in in the last episode. This idea of these lost girls of gaming, right? These lost women. And mm-hmm. it's not that we're lost. It's that nobody wrote the damn story down. Right. Or if they wrote mm-hmm. the story, they acted like we weren't a part of it. It's um, And so I feel like that's kind of bad. But the, the sad part, though, um, Latoya, is that it, it's still the case, right? You know, yeah. as an as a, as a academic who does game studies, yeah. to even see other kind of academics writing about games, male academics writing about games. Yeah. Women are invisible. Yeah. And right. also, like, the people that we promote, you guys are really making me give away, like, my closing model. Like, I hope you know. Right? <laughs> a lot of this is, like, my last thing that I'm saying. <laughs> so I hope y'all just, y'all, y'all indulge me in, like, the last five, like, minute of the documentary. Um, but, yeah, like, seriously, that's the people that we valorize as geniuses. The people whose games we love and play. The people who we take for granted as experts. The people who we know are going to get the accolades, the conversations, um, be able to bankroll and get somebody like Seth Rogen interested in their video game history books. They're generally men. Yes. Um, This idea of who controls the narrative of gaming is really important to understand. Because if you look at any individual work, it's always like an oversight, right? It's always explainable. It's like, oh, you know, he really wanted to focus on 
you know, the two main guys at Sega and Nintendo. He didn't really want to talk about all these other little characters or, yeah, you know, we're, we're just telling a story of, like, one game studio and it just happens to be all guys and, you know, we really wish there had been women on staff we could profile, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but when you look at the aggregate, you start realizing that this is just a minimization of women's roles in games, right? And it goes back to that, that point you guys made a little bit earlier about, like, these two black characters in this game that nobody wrote about. That's kind of the thing, too, that if people, we don't write about it and hype it and get super psyched about it in the way that we do mainstream releases, people don't know and they don't hear about it and they don't realize what happened. I remember, like, Jade from Beyond Good and Evil. Yeah. Popular character. I think in part because a lot of people just assume something about her race and they were just like, yeah, she's totally mine. She's me. She's black. No, no, she's mixed. (laughs) Nobody knew what Jade was. Just ambiguously brown. Yeah, they're just kind of ambiguous, right? And so everybody's kind of claiming her, like, yeah, it's us, um, in a way that we normally can't do with games. We normally can't do with game characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, claim ourselves. And to say that we exist and that we matter. And I think that, you know, when things happen, like when Bloomberg puts somebody like Bonnie Ross on the cover, right, um, you know, we have to show up, we have to talk about it, we have to be here for it. And be like, yeah, it's important that the woman running the Halo franchise right now is a woman. And we have to say, oh, it's important that, like, you know, uh, Stephanie Barris is running Indicate. And there's all of these things that are happening. Because what happens is it gets marginalized when it gets into, like, this mainstream lens. Where it's like, oh, it's just this little thing that women are doing. And it's not that mainstream, it's not that important. As opposed to this very big world-building work that these famous men are doing. And it's weird because in indie spaces, like Games for Change or Indicate, um, you see a lot of gender parity. You see a lot of justice. You see a lot of representation of people of color. You see these things in those spaces. So it's possible. It's there. It can happen. It's just will, right? Yeah. We want to do the work to expand our social circles. Do we want to acknowledge the genius of people who might not look like us? You know what? You well said. <laughs> it's the argument that we make all the time, and and it's it's an awesome argument to make. I want to ask you one last question. Go for it. That's not on the list. No worries. Go for it. Um, it's an easy one. <laughs> so, and I always like to ask people this. So tell me, is there anything that we didn't ask you about tonight that you want to tell us about? Oh, hmm. we covered a ton of stuff. <laughs> okay. Huh, what's the thing that you didn't ask me about that I want you guys to talk about or that we could debate? Debate. You know what the best thing is that I didn't get to talk about in the series, which drove me nuts? Um, and that's also part of, like, just making a documentary of anything. Like, you have, you know, your time frame, and mm-hmm. you have your budget, and then you have uh, who can be in what space at what time. You don't get to everything. Yep. I actually took two interviews on Skype that did not record properly, so I couldn't put them in the documentary. And Mm -hmm. both of them were about labor. And I was like, God damn it, because they're my favorite two things. One was Shira Chess, and uh, the other one, who did I talk to about crunch time? Was it Mia Consalvo? I talked to one other person about crunch time. I don't remember who it was. But anyway, Labor in games, right? And I feel like we don't talk about labor as a gendered issue enough. And right. that intersection of labor 
and gender because there's three parts of this, right? The first part, I can do a whole documentary on just this, on just like labor and games, right? The first part is what labor is seen as worthwhile or interesting. Mm -hmm. Another reason why a lot of women get out of games. I begged Colin Lynn to be in this documentary. Begged you guys, like I sent like eight emails. She was like, "No, nah, I got. I'm a chairperson this year." I was like, "I can make this work before your school year starts." Like, please help me. Helen <laughs> Lynn wrote this amazing piece in Beyond Barbie: Mortal Kombat, mm -hmm. which diagrams um, kind of like what happens to women gamers in Taiwan and in that particular environment. And she followed these women for seven or so years, and kind of painted this picture of casual discouragement at kind of every level to women playing games. From it's a very masculine pursuit and it's kind of a waste of time for girls to, you know, playing in cyber cafes is unsafe because grown men are there. You have to watch your daughters. Like this whole thing of just being marginalized at almost every step, encouraged to not play at every single step. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a thing that people tend to... Um, ignore when we talk a lot about games. That women are discouraged from it because it doesn't seem like a good use of a woman's capital. Whereas, you know, um, women who get good at, you know, using makeup or um, at certain types of gender performance are rewarded for that. Mm -hmm. so that is a good use of your time. Dating is a good use of your time. Playing <laughs> alone is not a good use of your time. Like, think about the message that sends. Yeah. Right? Uh, to different people, don't don't do this. So that valuation of certain types of labor and the type of labor it takes to get good at computer games, to get good um, at um, being a gamer, mm -hmm. is really devalued when it comes to women. Super devalued. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting because people can give all kinds of excuses of what you're doing that's not gaming, and that things like a woman spending a lot of time by herself. Um, for a lot of people, it's a very scary proposition. They don't understand why you would do that. They don't understand what that's for. Why don't you want to be more social? Um, and that's a very gendered thing. And mm -hmm. something that you know, people don't talk about enough. Um, the second part of laboring games is the actual environment in game development studios that might be keeping women away. Um, when I was young, and thinking about becoming, like, being in games professionally. This is when I was, like, 20, 21. Uh, I went to an IGDA meetup uh, in Hunt Valley, Maryland. That's how I knew how many studios there were. And I was talking to the guys, and they were lovely, lovely dudes, like four or five of them, super sweet. We talked half the night, and then I shocked the hell out of this poor guy because I gave my card, and he looked at it, and he was like, oh, my God, you're a feminist? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, but you're nice. He, like, freaked out. <laughs> I didn't even know how to respond to that. I was like, I'm so sorry, boo. I don't, I don't, I'm sorry I, like, messed your world up. I'm sorry. <laughs> you just didn't, like, I just did not compute. Um, but one of the things those guys told me, I was like, hey, I'm sorry. This is probably like, the worst sound interview you guys have ever had. Sorry. Um, but one of the things that they told me that I never got is that, like, being a game developer is not actually very glamorous, right? It's like, you know, 40 grand, 50 grand a year, which in some markets, that's great. In other markets, that's kind of crap. Mm -hmm. Right, particularly in the D.C. area, that's not that's not a great salary. Because um, everything is so expensive. It's like, yeah, you're also paying like $1,800 a month for an apartment. Like, you got to think about the math there. Um, and they told us like all these things about just like crunch time and what was happening. 
and how they all, like the thing that stood out to me was that they all still live with their parents even though they have full-time jobs, right? Um, and they just couldn't afford anything else. Like, this is what it is. This is your life. Um, and that's, that environment, that, you know, 80 hours on, that really hard dedication to each project and shipping it, uh, that's really difficult, right? And those expectations um, for women, particularly women of childbearing age, yeah. to participate in that space in the exact same way with no accommodations and no conversations is what leads a lot of women out of the industry and into things that they feel like are a little bit more controllable, even if they love it, even if they want to keep doing it. Um, Stephanie Barish started Indicate when she was pregnant, right? But a part of that is also like when you run your own studio or when you run your own conference, um, you can set the roles. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, but that means there's also there's less women who are like Jade Raymond and Amy Henning who can come and like start heading up studios because they have that experience. You know, yeah. Amy Henning didn't land that Star Wars game based on nothing, right? She did the Uncharted series. You know, she was at Naughty Dog. She did all these other things mm-hmm. before they trusted her with that. But you have to be able to kind of move up the ranks in that way. Um, so that happens. And the third thing about labor, too, is this idea of women in rest and labor, which is interesting. Shira Chess brought this up. I didn't, this is not my idea. This is all Shira Chess. Shira Chess um, had outlined how a lot of women shied away from games because they didn't feel like it was productive time that they were spending, yeah. that yeah. if we were gaming, we should be doing other types of pursuits like, you know, studying or cleaning or other things at work. And so this rise of so-called productivity games, like Diner Dash, mm. um, <laughs> that's fueled a lot by women who feel like they want to accomplish things in the day and in the world, and those games to them feel like a more worthy pursuit. Shira Chess had mentioned that she had tried to get her mother to play video games, and her mother was just totally resistant, even though she liked certain games she played in the past. And finally, you know, Shira Chess was just like, well, Mom, what, what game could I get you to play? What would it have to be like? And Shira Chess's mom goes, well, maybe a game about shopping. Like, it had to be some pursuit that she already did that would give her, like, permission to play a game. Yeah. And so I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of, like, labored assumptions and gender assumptions in games that I haven't seen very much unpacking at all, right, around kind of these issues. Um, and I would love to see, like, more people, particularly more smarty academy-type folks like yourselves, uh, deep diving into these things, right? Uh, because they do matter. I remember before, like, years and years ago, reading about, like, the EverQuest economy in the Utney Reader. And this is before they realized that games were big economies. Like, this was a big deal. I don't even know if EverQuest is still going. Um, but, you know, the fact that EverQuest had, like, the 77th highest GDP in the world, if it was an actual country, uh, was huge in it, right? And being able to calculate that and look at kind of the cultural cultural work that game was creating and the time in which they invest in these spaces and to be giving completely different sets of um, instructions to different types of people based on just gender uh, is really effed up. And it cuts women out of a huge and growing part of, like, a, you know, of not even American, of transnational communication, of transnational life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that because we don't look at games in dollars and cents, that import of what gaming culture has done for society and what skills are transferable and what it can do in the future kind of gets swept under the rug. 
all the time. So that's the one thing I think we haven't discussed yet that we can totally talk about more if you guys feel like, or we get into podcasts. <laughs> but you know but what? You know the thing, thing is, is oh, okay, echo. Um, you're spot on, and the the ironic thing is, is we see the same kind of issues with labor, gender, and being a woman of childbearing years in the academy. Yep. Right? When you start a tenure track job, I mean, and it's, you know, now people like to say that they're a bit more progressive. <laughs> when you start a tenure track job, you're 30 years old, right? Um, you've generally been too busy beforehand to have children because you're a grad student and you're making 10, 12, 14 grand a year um, and you're trying to get through grad school. But then you go into this tenure track job where you say, okay, for the next six years, my work week is going to be 60, 80 hours. And that's what I have to do in order to have any kind of job security. So you have this, you have this, you know, this, this period of time where you can't even consider having children. And it's often kind of frowned upon because, of course, having children during that time is going to slow you down and you can't do the things you need to do to get tenure. So <clears throat> what happens is you get you get this wave of women who hit 36, 37, 38 who are now tenured and say, hey, I want to start a family <laughs> and find themselves with decreased fertility, mm -hmm. right? So then you have this, this, but mind you, men on the tenure track, will often find themselves with one, two, three babies during that same period of time. Mm -hmm. Because the expectation for men is that if you have babies, your wife will stay home and take care of them. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're a woman, it's expected that you're going to do it. Um, but then at the same time, you can't do it according to kind of the rules of the academy because you have these other things to do. And it, it's it's amusing because, um, you know, my issue was a whole other one because there was no man involved. Um, so <laughs> I adopted. But the, the, the interesting thing was is that, you know, it, it occurred to me once I hit a certain age and I was like, you know what, it's really weird that all these 38-year-old women are having twins. <laughs> and I was like, huh, what if there's some fertility drugs involved here? Right? Because you have you have these women who, who do reach that period who have, you know, tried for a year or two to start a family and couldn't, and then they find themselves in the position that they have to turn to medical intervention. Right? But then that is another kind of interesting thing in terms of privilege because fertility treatments are ridiculously expensive, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're single on a single income or you're working at an institution that doesn't pay as well as others, then you're going to find yourself out of the loop for that too. But like I said, it goes back to that expectation of during this time period, during this crunch time, the crunch time is extended and not periodic when you're talking about being in the academy. But during that crunch time, that six-year period, when you're trying to gain tenure, mm -hmm. that's all you're supposed to do for 60 or 80 hours a week. Mm -hmm. Totally. And it's just like, you know, one of the things that fascinates me and fascinates me and will probably continue to fascinate me is 
this idea of what is fair treatment, mm -hmm. uh, particularly in the gaming industry, right? Because people who make these policies think they're being fair, right? And they're saying we're requiring everyone to do the same thing. It's not inherently unfair to any given person. Um, but, I mean, as you can see, it has this outsized effect on who even feels like they can participate. Mm -hmm. Like, why even go into this? If there are other jobs you can do with the same skill set and still have time to yourself, still have time to have a family, still be able to do these things. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, knowing that maybe people might not even have your back. So, like, you know, when uh, EA spouse drops, you know, I think it was Aaron Hoffman, um, put her anonymous letter out and said, hey, you know, EA is, you know, screwing over the developers and we need to do something about this is a labor violation. A lot of people were like, hey, this is the industry, get over it. Now, she eventually won. And EA had to pay all of these like uh, overtime back wages to yeah. all these different employees. But that came up again with Rockstar. Mm -hmm. And it will continue to come up as long as people are, are assuming that a ship date and a launch date and the way in which they want to run a profitable game studio has to be incompatible with people who have an aspiration, parents or not, to have a life outside of work. Right? Mm -hmm. And so essentially because gaming is on the forefront of labor, like my friend Lisa Nakamura... Um, she studies labor and, and wages in World of Warcraft, right? Mm -hmm. And particularly, like, in China, particularly with Chinese gold farmers and racialization of, of labor and other things like that. Um, and it's just interesting to see kind of, like, what is valued and what is not. Um, who is considered space, who is, given, who is not given space. And all of these things are tied up in money in a way that we don't talk about in games. Mm -hmm. In that way, we like to pretend that games are a pure art form. And we know it's that true. Yeah. No, you're spot on. I would love to see you do a series on labor. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> That'll probably be written, honestly. But that's a hard sell up a chain. Like, you know, let's talk about labor for an hour. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> no, but people don't even do labor reporting anymore. So I feel like that's, that's like a side hustle. Like, I have to find like a really sexy, ridiculous headline that's like... You know, three reasons why you might be enabling slavery by playing something. <laughs> like, it has to be one of them clickbait, like, <laughs> I have to read this right before anybody. <laughs> um, I don't know. If you say if you say slavery, you're going to piss some people off. They're going to be like, I'm not reading that. They're just making it up. <clears throat> it always is. <laughs> that was, you know, thank you. So much. Let me let me start by saying that. Thank you for joining us tonight because this was yeah, a whole totally. mm -hmm. Um and uh, I uh, like I said I love the documentary. Um, uh, everybody should watch it. Like I said, mm -hmm. if you haven't seen it, even at this point, go yeah. right now watch all the episodes that are available. It's on YouTube for you. It's everywhere you need to be. We will put it in the show notes. You. I just want to note that that you know, not your mama's gamer is awesome. Thank you. I started. I found you guys on Tumblr. <laughs> and I was following you guys for about a year before I even did this project. And so, just thank you for um, helping to shift the discourse around games. Um, because I remember there was definitely a depression period for us old heads. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we just like literally. I saw this woman, Heather Chaplin, who used to write about games for the New York Times. Um, back when it was like career suicide, I was like, don't do a video games, no! <laughs> um, and we were at a conference together, and we literally just had a moment where we looked at each other and we were like, 
games are a thing now. Like, can you believe that's it? Like, we're not crazy no more. Yeah. It's like this, but it, it's amazing to see the, the fruits of that and to see that, like, there's, like, Not Your Mama's Gamer and Gaming Feminist and all these people who are willing to talk and engage deeply and just be on the forefront of this after all of us old heads have burnt out. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> you know? He's like, um, we fought the good fight. Time for somebody else to take over. The only one left is Evan. That's it. Everybody yeah. else moved on. Evan Narcisse. Yeah. Like Kotaku. No, wait. Yeah, he's still Kotaku. He's still Kotaku. I was like, wait, did he go to Gawker? No, he's still Kotaku. Um, but Evan Narcisse is the last. Is the last. I reminded him when the gamer documentary dropped that uh, there used to be eight of us writing about racing games, and he was like, I need to see the receipts. Eight? Are you sure eight? <laughs> I had to go back with names and handles and be like, you remember Takanji? Yeah, she was there. Like, you had to, like, do a whole thing. Yeah. Um, but I really appreciate your work as well, and I'm really happy that you guys are here and you're being a voice for, um, I guess, just elevating the discourse around games. Uh, because that's it's that's valuable work, and I don't think people say that enough. Thank um, you. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, there's always a bunch of criticism around it. But let me tell you something. As soon as some shit goes wrong, who do they go looking for? They go looking for the stuff that you wrote, the stuff that people hated you for writing, all the drama. They go for that, and then that becomes um, the new basis for what you're doing. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> All right, so let's do a wrap-up and then uh, chat for a second. But thanks, like I said, for joining us for this uh, 118th episode, good God, uh, of, uh, of the Not Your Mama's Gamer podcast. Um, so until next time, when we have episode 119, yay! <laughs> um, <clears throat> stay warm, stay dry, and as always, my friends, game on.